Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. We're excited to come again this Saturday and talk about problem passages of the Bible. And today we are in an interesting zone with Sam and JJ and Michael and myself, Tim. We are talking about baptism. Let me just read a couple passages in Acts chapter 2, starting verse 38. It says, And when Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now in 1 Peter 3, Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, fellas, Sam, Michael, JJ, when I read these passages, it seems to me that I must be baptized in order to be saved. So if I have trust in Jesus as my Savior, but have not been baptized, are these passages telling me I need to be baptized? Michael? Well, you said it seems to me. So yeah, yeah well, because I am the arbiter of truth, and all Bible verses go through my filter. Well, I want to I want to allow you to feel comfort, as many people would join you in this. I mean, okay. Yeah, so I, I'm not weird thinking, oh my gosh, I need to be baptized, or I will not go to heaven when I die. Well, I don't know if you really think that, but but if I'm reading scripture, I think that you're not saying, well, that's a foolish way to think, but you're saying, hey, I understand based on how you're reading these verses. Well, what I'm saying is that throughout all of church history, I think most people, most Christians that have lived throughout church history, and I would argue most Christians living today, okay. still would believe this. Okay. I mean, it's not just because they have read this scripture. It is a deeply ingrained part of their traditions, their practice, and everything else. And so it's, 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 it's a very large community that would say baptism is an essential part of your salvation. Baptism is something that is necessary for you to join the community of God, to, in, in uh, Roman Catholicism, it would be something that is removing initially the, your stain of sin that you have okay. identified with Adam. A lot of people would interpret it differently about how baptism saves you and how it's necessary for your salvation, but it, it definitely would be a problem passage because of the distinctions and the differences that people have with regard to I get baptismal regeneration is what it'd be called. Okay, so, so, and Sam, you aren't confused if someone comes up and says, man, I think I need to be baptized or I won't be saved. Well, I would take the first half of that statement. Okay. Yes, you need to be baptized. Okay. So um, let's be clear about a very important distinction here, and we can address both of them. I think all of us would agree that baptism is essential, but we need to ask for what? Okay. I believe it's essential for obedience. Uh, if we are to obey all that Christ has commanded and we are commanded to be baptized, then certainly baptism is necessary for our sanctification. Um, in, in 
the way that many other responsibilities in Scripture are set forth. But if you'd ask the next question, is it necessary for justification? In other words, must I be baptized in water in order to have confidence that the guilt of my sins has been washed away and cleansed? Uh, that's another question entirely. And of course, it's the second question that we're really addressing today. I don't think anybody here wants to say that baptism is optional yeah. for a Christian. The, the New Testament doesn't entertain the notion of an unbaptized believer. Uh, it is the assumed, natural, expected response of anyone who comes to saving faith in Jesus. That, you know, we had a baptism this uh, not re- just recently at our church, and I made a point to the people. I said, you know, in the first century, and we've largely departed from the practice, um, when you got saved, you didn't raise a hand, sign a card, walk an aisle. Uh, you got baptized. And mm-hmm. typically, it was as soon after your confession of faith as possible. So, that's an issue that's not on the table here today. I think so, we're all in agreement. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. If someone says, the "I don't," baptism bu- water, the baptism <laughs> that's water. Right. So if somebody says, "I don't believe baptism saves you," so I'm not going to be baptized, we would all very passionately disagree with them and say, "No, you must be baptized." Absolutely, you are disobedient if you're not baptized. But I do want to earmark something. I don't want to talk about it now, but we do need to talk about it in the sense of. Yes, we would say it's something that every Christian needs to do, but have Christians done it properly? And by proper, I don't necessarily mean the method, because I don't know if we'll talk about that here, but in the sense of, I would argue that even among the people who have been baptized, the mass majority really didn't know what was going on whenever they were baptized. And many, many churches out there that do believe in it don't really prepare you enough or teach you enough for you to understand what it is you're even doing. I mean, I was baptized when I was 12 years old, and I did it to get in the water and have fun and be dunked. Well, there's um, a—I don't think he'd mind me mentioning his name, Mark Dever, who's a friend of mine who pastors in Washington, D.C. And Mark uh, believes that uh, even when a child genuinely professes faith and probably has been born again, maybe like you, 8, 9, 10, 11, for me it was 9 years old, for you just said it was 12, he um, requests that they wait until they're 15 or 16, until they've had a time to really process their confession of faith, until there's some measure of confidence that they really have a grasp on what they're doing, precisely to try to avoid the problem you just mentioned. Well, still earmarking that, I want to know whether you agree with that later. But don't we need to talk about the problem passage? Yeah. Yeah. You yes. want to look at this passage and kind of unpack it a little bit? Yeah. So what if, if he is not saying you must be saved to be baptized, what is he, is he saying here? Okay, let's well, look at it. Well, he's not saying you must be saved to be baptized. Or in order to be saved, you must be baptized. Yeah. That's a part of it. If that is not what he's communicating, okay. what is he communicating? Okay, how about if I lay out just some interpretive options here? Okay. Well, that's one interpretive option. <laughs> Obviously, there are <laughs> a sizable number of Christians, professing Christians in the world who take that view. That okay. if you die and you, you've lived your Christian life, your entire Christian life, serving him, believing in Christ, trusting in him, calling upon him for mercy, yet you die unbaptized, you will not go to heaven, but you'll go to hell, right? That's what many affirm. Okay. All right. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me just mention a couple of options that I don't find convincing, but you'll often hear people mention. Some will say that the people that Peter is talking to are already born again. They're already believers. And that the repentance is specifically for the sin of having 
been complicit in the crucifixion of Jesus. And mm-hmm. therefore, the forgiveness that they would receive is for the sin of having crucified Jesus or at least having echoed um, in agreement the, the decision of the religious leaders to That's crucify him. That's what I haven't heard. Yeah. And therefore, um, this is not an appeal to non-Christians to embrace the gospel, be baptized, and be saved. It's an appeal to believers to repent of the sin of crucifying Jesus to be restored to fellowship. Mm. I, I don't think the context will substantiate that, especially in the in the, the text, the verses that follow. It seems he's like he's talking about people who are being called by God into the body of Christ and as a result receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and are incorporated into the church. Now, here's another position that some hold. Uh, in, the, in the English Standard Version, it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And we don't want to get technical here, but that preposition translated for, some argue, should be translated because of. And grammatically, that's possible. There are about two or three other passages in the New Testament where this preposition can mean because of. So the idea would be, oh, you're not being baptized so that you may be forgiven, you're being baptized because you've already been forgiven. Now, that would make it real easy. We could just, you know, shut down our broadcast and say, well, that mm. settles this matter. But that's a very, it's a grammatically possible but very unlikely view um, that, that it means because of. So that leaves us with the question, what then is the relationship between baptism and repentance and faith and the forgiveness of sins? And I have an idea of what he's saying, but... I'm gonna Do you know of any past or any Bibles? Any of you guys know of any Bibles that translate it because of? I don't know. Of any. I'm not aware of it. Yeah, I'm so not it's aware probably of it. not a real likely. I mean, even people who are translating the Bible who don't believe the Bible as much as we might don't yeah. go well, that Well, this direction. preposition is used a couple hundred times in the New Testament. And it's only maybe two or three where it has this sense. And so it's just, it's, it, it's unlikely. Hmm. And what's nice here, too, is like, yes, we're having this conversation, but these words are together, like be baptized because you've been forgiven. It doesn't say be baptized if you can figure this out. So, of course, baptism should be a part of this conversation anyway. So if someone's reading this and they've never been baptized, regardless of how that preposition actually functions, like believe and be baptized, which is what we'll talk about. Like, what is the order? Do we have other, you know, an example that we have in the, of just how we study the Bible is that we allow more clear passages to help us better understand passages that maybe aren't as clear. So do we have other verses out here that are about baptism or about an order of how, what is the order of of when I should be baptized versus when I believe? Are there other areas we can turn to in scripture? Well, yeah. uh, For example, uh, let's take the gospel of John that everybody acknowledges is a an evangelistic book. John says it explicitly. These things I've written to you that you might believe in the name of Christ. Um, in John's gospel, contrary to what some people say, I don't believe John 3, 5 uh, is talking about water baptism. If that's the case, um, we have what is explicitly the, maybe the most evangelistic tract within the New Testament, and there's not a single reference to water baptism. And John's not assuming that people who are getting his book have already read Acts or some something else, First Peter. True. And, and yet multiple times, uh, just over and over and over again, dozens of times, faith is only mentioned <clears throat> as the requirement for salvation for being, it's just simply believing, it's trusting. And John 3.16 is the <clears throat> most famous of those in sure. the book of John. Yeah. And then you add to this, 
um, there are over one, in excess of 150 passages in the New Testament in which either repentance or faith or the kind of the both, you know, being the two sides of the same coin are mentioned as the sole condition for justification and salvation and no reference to baptism whatsoever. So you have to ask the question, all right, if baptism in water was absolutely essential to justification and forgiveness of sins, why would there be over 150 verses in the New Testament where salvation is talked about and the requirement is faith and baptism is utterly and totally absent? It's good for our listeners to be aware of what you're saying, Sam, because the passages that we read, we read for a reason. They're used as almost proof text for those from certain Christian traditions that would say that baptism is necessary for salvation. And they have, in a sense, their, their pet verses. And it's not a long list. You know, this is one of a, a very short handful, less than you could count on one hand. And so uh, you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You know, Sam just made a reference to the Greek. Um, you know, in your own home, sit down and read through the Pauline epistles and listen to what he says about what you must be do to be, do to be saved. Read mm-hmm. the book of Acts and listen to the sermons that are preached to people who are wondering what they must do to be saved. And as Sam said, if something so essential and crucial that could put your soul in eternal jeopardy um, is baptism, then why is why do they forget about it so often? Forget to mention that crucial element. You know, you don't have to be a scholar to notice that. And that's that's good principle for so much because it's so so many times we focus on one of these particulars and and make that the gospel or part of the gospel such an essential part of the gospel and. And we just forget the big picture. And, and here's, for me, the big picture. And I'm not saying that this is the way that I would argue it necessarily, but the way that I understand God and the way that I come to know him through the scriptures, it seems rather somewhat unlike him. And, and might I use the word petty to say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I really love you very much. And I've sent my son to die for you. And I, I want you to believe in me and trust in me and understand that that starts a right relationship with me. But there's one thing kind of weird, you know, for some of you guys, especially 2,000 years later, but I want you to, you know, go underwater and say this ritual or whatever else it may be, and that will solidify the deal because up here in heaven, we really do require something like that. Well, we know that uh, to, in order to understand a thing without n- using these technical terms, you're going to try to figure out what are its most irreducible elements. You know, yeah. if you're going to bake an apple pie, you sit down and go, what goes in an apple pie? We need apples. You need uh, sugar or honey, depending if you're a crunchy granola person. Mm-hmm. You need flour, right? If you don't have flour, it's not apple pie anymore. Now it's just applesauce. So mm-hmm. when you look at salvation throughout the New Testament, Greg Gilbert has been helpful in this regard. He says, what are the irreducible elements? And every time you're going to see God, man, uh, uh, sin, and, and, and belief, right? So there's this element of, you know, God is holy. Um, man is jacked up and broken. Um, the God's provided a way through his son, and then now there's a response that, mm-hmm. that is mandated on our part. And those are the irreducible elements. The first three are really the gospel. The response is sort of the entailment of the gospel. Those are the irreducible elements that go in the apple pie that you see every time. Baptism is not one of those irreducible elements that's mentioned. Yeah. So I, I've got a suspicion, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, <clears throat> I know I'm coughing in the midst of our broadcast here, but that's all right. That just shows to our listeners that we're human. We're We're, truly unplugged. We're We're unplugged, unplugged, yeah. Um, Some of our listeners may be saying, all right, guys, it's great for you to say all this, but you're not explaining the text. Mm. Why does a passage like this exist in the New Testament? What is it telling us about baptism and its relationship to our faith and our forgiveness? 
So we, we got to look at this again more closely. And I think mm-hmm. the way to do it is you have to look at this one verse in the, in the, con- the broader context of Acts as a whole. And when you read the book of Acts, there is unmistakably the initial response of saving faith in Jesus is water baptism. In fact, it could even be argued that the act of baptism is the occasion on which your faith in Christ is expressed. It's kind of the pinnacle or the consummation. In the waters of baptism, you claim Christ. You declare your allegiance and loyalty to him, your identification with him, which is then expressed in baptism. So in the New Testament, um, what's inseparable isn't baptism and forgiveness. What's inseparable is faith and baptism. Mm-hmm. So I like to tell people, having faith without baptism is like saying you've got joy, but you never smile. If you tell me that you're joyful and you just look sour, depressed, and and really put out, mm-hmm. I'd say, really, is that how joy manifests itself in your life? Wouldn't it show outwardly? And in a, in a, in a similar sense, baptism is the necessary outward uh, inevitable, expected expression of faith and repentance. Mm-hmm. So that's why, for example, you'll read passages like this, like Acts 22, um, even 1 Peter 3, which seem to relate baptism to forgiveness as cause to effect. Mm-hmm. But it's not. What it's telling us isn't the relationship between baptism and forgiveness. It's telling us about the relationship of baptism to faith. Mm-hmm. And since the New Testament doesn't envision somebody having faith and not being baptized, it makes sense that it would say, believe or repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Not because baptism is necessary for forgiveness, but because baptism is necessary to faith. And, mm-hmm. and the automatic response that you, that you bring up here, I think, is found in a lot of different ways. It's not just baptism. And this is what I'd tell people that would believe that baptism is necessary. I'd say, well, is also uh, calling upon the name of the Lord, as it says in Romans chapter 10, necessary, that you have to verbally call upon the name of the Lord. Is prayer necessary? You might even say in an illustration to something like today, I might go up to somebody and uh, ask, hey, have you ever said the sinner's prayer? Or somebody else might say, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? They may not say, hey, have you believed in Christ? But it's another way of expressing the same belief because people, if, if, if I go up to somebody and I say, have you ever prayed? And they say, no, I've never prayed, but I am saved. I would have question about their salvation. It doesn't mean the prayer actually saves them because no prayer saves you. It's the trust of Christ in your heart. But what is the automatic expression that you do whenever you do trust in him? I mean, mm. you, you do pray. You yeah. do uh, call upon his name. You do uh, repent. You do all kinds of things that follow in the Christian life. And it seems like in the Bible, you do have these types of passages that are this relationship between faith and something else that seem to be in a cause and effect relationship, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And so if you believe that baptism saves you, I'd think you have to add a lot of other things to that. The love of God saves you. Calling upon the name of the Lord saves you. Um, Repentance. I mean, just a a daily repentance, uh, those kind of things. Yeah. Well, and some of our listeners may not be bothered by the idea of, of baptism being something they have to do in order to get saved because they may have kind of a funky, as I did for most of my life, a funky view of faith. The faith is something you do 
mm-hmm. for God to save you, you know? And it's kind of radical to have thoughtful theologians explain to you that faith is a gift, that, that God puts it in you. He actualizes it, that even that is not a work. Even that is not mm-hmm. something that you give to God like a token in order to get salvation. So it's not as though you've already smuggled in one token, and now, well, let's just add a second. You know, you got to mm-hmm. bring some faith, and then mm-hmm. you got to bring baptism. It's like, you know, faith is a gift from God. There's another text I think we need to bring into this discussion. We didn't read it earlier. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, let me just read this because in Corinth, as you know, um, there were um, factions and cliques that had developed around certain popular figures like Peter and Paul and Apollos. And some of the people were saying, hey, I'm of Peter because he baptized me. Oh, you were baptized by mm-hmm. Apollos. That, that, isn't as, that isn't as important. Well, listen to what Paul says. Mm-hmm. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. Do you get the sense? He's saying, well, yeah, I baptized a few, um, well, maybe one or two others now that I'm thinking about it. But beyond that, I can't even remember. And then he says this, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, if baptism were essential to the gospel, how could Paul say that? Mm -hmm. The gospel is the truth of what Christ has accomplished for us and our response of faith. And Paul is saying, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but if baptism was absolutely critical, crucial, um, for salvation. Could Paul really say that? Could he say, Christ did not send me to baptize? Mm. Jesus, why not? Why didn't you send him to baptize if, if, if that's essential for a person to be restored and reconciled to you? Yeah, that's, that's a significant it. statement by Paul. I think along those lines, I'm thinking of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, comes in here nicely too. For by grace you have been saved. And this is Paul writing, of course. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Faith is, is, is how we are saved here. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. We can never boast of these works. But then verse 10 is usually left out. But verse 10, for we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre- prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what I would wonder is in the structure of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, maybe baptism is the first good work we do showing the faith that has now been born by God's grace in our lives. And Ephesians doesn't mention baptism anywhere, does it? I mean, it's a pretty It does in chapter 4. It says one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's good. I like okay. what you're saying, though, Tim, because you're right. It's, it's basically proclaiming the gospel. When you're baptized, yeah. you're already witnessing. <laughs> you're engaging yeah. in, in a public witness of what God has done in you through Jesus. Okay, so here's my last question for today. If you have never been baptized and you believe you should be baptized, if you were baptized when you were young and now you believe, should you be rebaptized? You're like that guy who asked the professor a question right before class is supposed to end. I'm just assuming a lot of people are wondering, so let's dive in real fast. Well, uh, this question would get back into the assumption or the question that I had early on that I wanted to earmark was, 
you know, people don't understand it even sometimes when they do. And yeah. that would be added to that. I mean, you may come to an understanding of it later on in your life and so, then be so, baptized. But, yeah, but here's okay. the problem as well is, is I did get rebaptized after I was 12. I was 12 okay. whenever I first, and I knew I did it just to play in the water. <laughs> but but uh, whenever I was 21, I got baptized again because I had a deeper understanding of my commitment to Christ and what it meant. But how often can you do that? Because I have a deeper understanding now. Well, and I have to ask, is that even the appropriate term, you know, to say you were re-baptized? Maybe it was that you got baptized because you realized you, you went swimming yeah. and you hadn't been baptized. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Does real baptism exist in the absence of saving faith? Yeah. And, and I would say, say no. I would say no. Yeah. But what if it does? What if you do have saving faith and you just went to, in the water to play? I don't personally think that you should be rebaptized. Yeah. I, I would. What I would do is I'd sit you down and say, let's talk about what actually happened. You truly believed in Jesus. Now, maybe because of your youth and the lack of being taught and the passing of time, it, it's become a little hazy in your mind. Well, then, and I know we've only got a minute left, but <clears throat> what are the necessary elements of presence? I mean, okay, you got to have water. you got to have a person being baptized. you got to have somebody baptizing, which is a significant thing we didn't talk about, but we're not going to have time. But what about people? I mean, do you have to have anybody else? Can you get baptized uh, by somebody in a pool? Two, yes. cri- two Christians on a desert island, a guy baptizing you and you getting baptized. So what's, what is the essence of what we're talking about here? Well, obviously there needs to be water because there is an image, there is an analogy. Just as physical water washes dirt and grime from the body, the work of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, washes the soul and the spirit from the, the dirt and the filth of sin. That's so the it's point. primarily for the person being baptized. Then. Yes. So it's not for the audience. Because you do hear sometimes it is a public proclamation. Well, it is. It is for the audience to see your identification, your pledge of allegiance, so to speak, to Jesus in the waters of baptism, your willful identification with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. Okay. Well, then speak to those who have not been baptized. Is that right? Yeah. Well, if you have not been baptized and you believe, be baptized. That's it. We've spoken to you. It's just that simple. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop, and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mention that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.